Do you hear that sound? That is the sound of waves crashing against a bay. But not just any bay. It's a Baywatch. Because this is a Baywatch podcast. In fact, this is Baywatch Rookie School, a podcast where two men who have never watched Baywatch before try and watch Baywatch. I'm Michael Eisen. And I'm Morgan Thrapp. And we don't know how to lead into a podcast. So, Morgan, this is Baywatch Season 1, Episode 2, Heat Wave. What do you think about the title of the episode? It's actually Episode 3, but... It's not. Wait, is it Episode 3? No, it's not. Because the pilot is, like, is the pilot, and then it's, like, Season 1 in... Episode 1 in Deep, and then there's Season 2 episode... Oh. Or Season... Right? Yeah, because... I mean, Daily Motion, Daily Motion, where we're definitely not watching them because that would be illegal has it as episode three, but I see what you're saying. Maybe the pilot doesn't count as a canonical episode. I feel like you don't want to count a pilot movie as episode one. That's like counting Firefly's pilot as like episode one, when really it's not episode one. Episode one is episode one, or like the Battlestar Galactica pilot. Really, any pilot, any sci-fi show in space has a hour to an hour and a half long first episode pilot, but it's really just a TV movie, not an episode. Which is appropriate because Baywatch is, as we know, hard sci-fi. Well, I mean, we're going to get into that once we get into (laughs) Baywatch Nights, which is just X-Files, but David Hasselhoff. But yeah, this episode is called Heat Wave. Uh, The first thing I want to do is issue a correction from last week. Uh, A very egregious correction, because last episode... I kept on referring to one of our actresses as Erina Eleniak. Her name is Erica, and I don't know why I made up some sort of like anime name for this very real not anime <laughs> person named Erica Eleniak, but it's Erica, and I shall be referring to her that as that from now on instead of Erina, which is not her name. This episode, it aired September 29th, 1989. Directed by Gus Traconis and written by Ernie Wallengren. So not by the you know original writing team uh, and not directed by the original writing team either. So this is kind of like our first taste of guest writers and directors uh, in this. That definitely checks out to me because this felt a lot different from the pilot and the first episode, both in terms of just being a lot slower. Right. Um, And also, the stakes felt much weirder, as we'll get into. The stakes are very weird in this episode. Another interesting thing about this is I am establishing this as the first first instance in this show. I may not even have another instance in this show, but I'm going to say this is the first, where we have an in-quote, I'm calling it canon, Golden Girls and Baywatch crossover, which is there's an actor here called Michael McManus, and he plays Sid Wilson in this episode. He goes over like a tannoy system. I don't know why I call it the British word, but tannoy. Um, And he just radios out to everybody. Now, Sid is also the name of a character in Golden Girls, played by the same guy in the same year. So in my canon, Golden Girls is just happening in Florida while Baywatch is happening in L.A., and they're just the same world. And really what could be happening is we get, we never get that crossover episode we want where like David Hasselhoff and Blanche meet and then just like sparks fly. But that's what I want. Um, but the show will never give it to us, you know. 
The other thing I want to add is uh, I did some research. Again, great quote. Sand tractors are called sand bonies. And that is your fact <laughs> of the day. I love that so much. It's so good. You just like, yeah, what do I have to thank for glass not being in the in the sand? Oh, the sand bony. <laughs> Um, But with that, Morgan, I think you should lead us into the episode. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get started. Heat wave. Heat wave. We open on a cheap, shitty looking motel. It's night. We've got some sketchy looking PI dude, I assume, in a car. And he pulls a gun out of the glove box and then drives backwards and goes into the office while someone watches nervously from inside one of the motel rooms. I noticed this this guy looks like great value Mark Ruffalo. Yeah. I was trying to picture who he reminded me of the entire episode, but yeah, he's he's definitely discount Mark Ruffalo. He's a sleazy, oily Mark Ruffalo. So we cut away from sleazy Mark Ruffalo mm-hmm. to a guy in a motel room who's peering out the window, looking real sketch, sees the P.I., and then goes and grabs his kid, packs real quick, gets in the car, and they drive off. The kid asks, is it him? And the guy says, yeah, don't worry, we'll be in L.A. by morning, while ominous music plays. There's a lot of ominous music, and that's the thing I'm learning about Baywatch is I I, I read and heard that there is a lot of in-house music that they did for this. Wowie wow. The soundtrack to this show is bonkers. That would make sense if a lot of the music is made in-house, because a couple of the songs later, I actually kind of dig. And so I was Googling the lyrics, and I cannot find heads nor tails of these songs anywhere on the internet. That's like me last episode with the Super Mario Brothers song. Yeah. Yeah, they're nowhere. And that's why, from what I heard, the Amazon Prime version which you cannot get in America, so you'd have to use like a VPN, all of that music is cut out and replaced because they didn't have the rights to that music when they Mm. bought the new property, which is there is so much of that music in this show, meaning that there's just whole segments taken out. Yeah, I don't know how you could do most of these montages without the music, so I assume they just cut them out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, during the scene of the guy who we later learn is Steve, so I'm just going to call him Steve, Packing up and getting his kid, Mike, into the car, he, Steve goes and sabotages the P.I.'s car, so when the P.I. chases him, he skids out and crashes into a truck and then gets a flat tire and looks dejected. So Steve and Mike get away, and then we cut to the Hoff making breakfast. It's 6.15, and it's already 81 degrees, and they say it's going to get up to 106 degrees in the valley. And Mm -hmm. I I like the idea that they decided to get out of the way really quickly into the show, the it's hot story, um, because I imagine (laughs) that was going to be a very consistent story. uh, But it feels like this is a one and done. I don't know. We have to watch the show, obviously. I certainly hope so. I, I hope every episode is just, God, it's another... 90, 99 kajillion degrees today. And they're like, oh, God, better get to the beach. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're at breakfast and Hobie comes downstairs, complains it's hot, all of that fun stuff. Hobie says they should get AC, but Mitch says they don't need AC because it's the beach. And if you need AC, I'll just buy you a bigger sweatband, which 
I don't think that's how that works. But no, it's, you know, sure. it's not how it works at all. <laughs> um, Steve shows up at Mitch's place with Mike, and they riff about how Mitch hasn't gotten older. And but who is Mike Morgan? Mike is Steve's kid. Who I totally called this twist approximately 30 seconds from now in this episode because Steve asks about Gail and Mitch says they're divorced and then Steve says the same that him and Allison got divorced and that Steve got full custody of Mike and immediately I was like there's no way they're bringing this up if that's not true oh this show if that's true this show does not know how to do subtly no god no <laughs> Uh, they they say earlier that, or at least Steve says that they used to grow up him and Mitch on the Big Blue, and Steve's yeah. nickname was the Barracuda, while Mitch's mm-hmm. was the one, the only, the original <laughs> animal. Uh, and apparently he earned that nickname, and I don't know what that implies. They kind of imply yeah. it sort of means sex, but they also they're never clear about it. They imply it. But they also imply it maybe means, like, eating some sick waves, bruh. I'm not (laughs) sure. Also, what happens is that Steve starts talking about his living situation. And with that, his also stomach situation. And Steve starts grabbing some food. And Mitch implies that Steve is not picky, saying something along the lines of, I made your favorite food. That is exactly the quote. I wrote it down because it's so good. (laughs) It's very good. It just implies more and more that we're like, "Uh, Steve seems kind of shady. And then when Mitch asks him, so, hey, where are you living? Steve says, well, when I told you that we just got off the freeway, I mean, we just got off the freeway. And then he comments Mm -hmm. on how big Mitch's place is, which feels weird because it's implying that Mitch has been in that like place for maybe 20 years, 15 years. Yeah. Like however long Hobie has been around. Because Steve has never met Hobie, it sounds like. So right. how I don't know how long Mitch has been living there, but that's a steal. Like, that place is not a place you've lived in for 20 years. That yeah. is that is a, a place built three years prior. Yeah, it's very modern to the time architecture and, like, design style. I mean, maybe Mitch is just a really good interior decorator. Like Absolute no, bullshit. He's he can't be dumb. good at everything. A good father, a good swimmer. And a good architect, you can't have all three. You got to pick two, and he picked swimmer, and he picked father. Or maybe, maybe Gail's the interior designer. Uh, let's never bring up Gail ever again, because apparently yeah. they never bring her up ever again. Really? Well, they never cast her again. Oh, wow! At least as far so as they I saw, really just don't care. No, well, <laughs> look, this show on one hand cares about women; on the other hand, it doesn't care about women, especially. Yeah not hot women. And they cast Gail as your normal plain woman who's not a like playboy bombshell. So therefore she doesn't matter. Speaking of this show treating women kind of shittily, the next shot is we cut to a very slow pan up a random bikini clad woman while Eddie stares at her. Uh And then kind of nothing happens there. Until Trevor shows up to yell at Eddie about how Trevor's going to handle the rich people and you county guys can handle the rest. It's weird how fond I am of Trevor, because for context, Morgan and I watched Lawnmower Man last night. And Mm -hmm. Lawnmower Man features this, in quote, villain who's just a guy named Jake who has sunglasses on (laughs) and a bandana. And Jake is so cartoonish of a villain, as in... 
he, the main character has some comic books and he knocks the comic books out. He's just like nerd, uh, just super cartoonish <laughs> stuff. And Trevor is, is basically that, but Australian. And I kind of love it. Like, I just love this cartoonish heel character in my lifeguard TV show. I like Trevor as a character. I just hate him as a person. Oh, yeah. No, if I saw him in real life, I'd be like, <laughs> I, I don't want to be anywhere near you. But watching him is fun. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. So, yeah, next we're, we're in the locker room with Mitch and Craig, and they're talking about Steve. And the two of them just keep saying, same old Barracuda. Back and forth, <laughs> just like over and over, and the rest of the scene kind of doesn't matter, and it's, they really hit that his name is, his nickname is Barracuda, which doesn't factor into the episode literally at all, so I don't know why they're so intent on setting it up. There is one part that matters, and that is, we find out Craig is representing Mitch in child custody, which seems like a very bad idea to have, like, your best friend represent you in court, because what if you lose... You're just going to never want to talk to him again. So I think that's a pretty bad idea. Uh, we also yeah. get the first taste of our new favorite B character on this show, which is Craig's Locker, a very important character <laughs> who is referenced many, many times. You see, he's very important so to Craig. Many times. So many times. And in his locker, he has a suit. And he says that, you know, he's supposed to be a lawyer today. Mitch asks him to come to the beach and be a lifeguard. But Craig has to pick lawyer or lifeguard, the two L's. You know, Morgan, when I go through life, sometimes I have to think, which of my two L's do I do I need to be today? Do I need to be a lover or do I need to be a lifeguard? And then sometimes from the top, there's lifeguard. And then somewhere there's an L on the bottom to sort of make like a kind of like badly shaped square. So you like cut off one end of the L and now you have a square of L's. Love, lifeguard, lawyer, and uh, like Latino. I can't think of another word that starts with L. Uh Lawnmower. So lawnmower. Yeah. yeah. So lawnmower man, lawyer, lifeguard, lover, my four jobs. And some days I just have to pick one and it's really hard to pick one. And so usually I just choose lover. Uh, there's nothing to do in my job. So I just go home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just, it just became a sad, <laughs> sad podcast. <laughs> it's like, hey, you came for Baywatch Rookie School, but he actually came for the the Lack of Love podcast. <laughs> Next up, we've got Mitch assigning orders for the various lifeguards for the day, telling the operator, the Sid we talked about earlier, right? Was mm -hmm. his name? Yep, Sid. Telling him to go assign people places, and they don't have nearly enough lifeguards, so, so Sid is gonna go put rookies next to each other, but... Mitch says, we absolutely can't have rookies next to each other, and you gotta have veterans at table six, and four <laughs> of them at table whatever, and by table I mean tower. Tower you seven. Know, same thing. Exactly, this tower is, seven. This is a 9-11 conspiracy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and then what happens is, Sid is, hears these orders from Mitch, uh, and says, yes, lieutenant, sir. And Mitch kind of gets on his case, gets on his grill, and says... Don't call me lieutenant. Don't call me sir. So Sid calls him babe instead, which mm -hmm. I kind of love that line. I thought there there are these small moments of this show which are fun writing. And then where is the rest of this? <laughs> yeah, no, that was actually like a decent little exchange. 
And then we get so much bad writing later in this. Yep. Yeah. Next, there's a, like, five-second scene of the PI from earlier flipping through a phone book, and then it cuts away to a traffic report about how it's already over 100 and climbing, and traffic's backed up, so if you're not on the beach already... Don't even bother. They specifically say westbound traffic is backed up to Nevada, which I'm like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. How far is that? Uh, I don't know. I can look it up, but I feel like that's too long to want to go to that same beach. Maybe go to a different beach, like right. drive up north or I, I don't know, just like buy some AC, <laughs> like stay in your state, buy some AC, buy a fan. I don't know. Buy a bigger sweatband. Buy a bigger sweatband. Yes. Um, so what we've learned, we learned in the pilot that most people who are uh, social outcasts, like maybe you or I, clearly social outcasts, would wear sweaters at the beach. But the people who are hip, young, cool, lively, vivacious, contributing members of society... They just wear sweatbands. And then if that doesn't work, they just get a bigger sweatband. Uh, so in in light of that, I have decided to develop a sweatband obsession. And I'm going to buy six sweatbands and wear them all at once. Now, mind you, I'm going to be doing this while doing my day job, um, which means that no one can see me wear these sweatbands. <laughs> and for most of the time, I actually have a fan on me. So really, it's just going to be me sweating because I have six sweatbands on. That'll be our first piece of merchandise. Oh, yes. It's the, it's the Baywatch Rookie School sweatband coming mm -hmm. soon for 399 bucks per sweatband. <laughs> Gotta make the money somehow. They're very, very large sweatbands. They're very, very comfortably large. Yes. Anyway, we've got some lifeguards who return some kid named Ricky to his mom because the kid's been being a little shit and throwing wet sand on sunbathers and his mom yells at him and he says, it's just a joke. And the mom says, well, I'm not laughing, which, oh, God, such bad writing. It's it's bad writing, but it's also accurate writing. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It just stood out to me as like, really, you're going to bother with all of this? Especially because, like, well, we'll get to it later, but you really don't need this level of establishing for this kid. No, you don't need this level of establishing for most characters in this show. No, no, especially not the one-offs. Right. But yeah, we go to Steve and Hobie and Mike, and Steve's going to teach Hobie how to body surf, but Mike isn't interested. So Steve and Hobie just kind of bounce after Steve tells Mike, don't talk to strangers and make sure to put on sunblock. And literally five seconds later, Ricky sits down and says, I know, I heard, I'm a stranger, you're not supposed to talk to me. So this scene, this scene, uh, I, I, I hated this scene for one yes. specific reason. And I think you're going to be able to guess why, Morgan. First, let me ask you, can you guess why I hated this scene? Not off the top of my head. The reason is that as a Michael, every Michael has their own version of their name they like to be called, because there's a million of these. Some of us, like me, are a Michael. Some are a Mike. Some are a Mikey. But most are not a Mikey, because fuck mm -hmm. Mikey. I was that person where, in elementary school, I was called Michael E through fifth grade. And then in the middle oh, of fifth man. grade, I was like, there's a Michael M also, and no thanks. And in fact, in second grade, there was also a Michael H. 
And then when I went to college, there were five Michaels, including girl Michael. But in fifth grade, I decided I'm going to be Mike. And I liked it for like a week. And then uh, they updated like the school syllabus, not the school syllabus, but like the school yearbook. And they couldn't change it back. So I was just Mike for my last year of elementary school. And I regretted that mistake ever since. And that's why I'm so <laughs> steadfastly Michael. But hearing him just call him Mikey and then says, you look like a Mikey, that hurt. That hurt deep down because I know what yeah. that feels like. And I'm like, he is a Mikey. No, Mikey, you got to do better than this. You got to graduate to a Michael. Oh, Mike does have a very good comeback, which is immediately after Ricky says, I bet everyone calls you Mikey. You look like a Mikey. Mike says, I bet everyone calls you a jerk. You look like a jerk. And then Ricky immediately jumps in with, yeah, that's me. That's my name, jerk. Grabs a sandwich. Baloney. Rad. Thanks. And then... It's like, so it's, just, like, completely disjointed. It's like, I hate to bring up this movie because we swore that we would try to never remember this movie. But it's, <laughs> kind, it's kind of like The Book of Henry, which, if you've never seen The Book of Henry, oh, God, you God. owe it to yourself to see that movie at least once and then never see it again. Or, in my case, see it two more times. <laughs> really? Well, I watched it with you. I watched it with our friend Joe. And I watched it with our friend Tristan. Wow. I, well, the first time I think I watched it with Tristan and I was just like, yeah, I heard this movie is really bad, uh, but it's like to this epic degree, we should watch it. And we're like, okay. And then we just had to sit and talk about it for 20 minutes. And I thought I need to talk about this <laughs> with more people, which I, I definitely want. If someone listens to this, I want to talk with me about the book of Henry. Talk with me about the book of Henry. Holy God. That movie yeah. is just like wackiness and zaniness in terms of shit writing to another scale. But Ricky is like Henry in that he's just written to like know everything almost. He's like too cool for school. And <laughs> I, I don't I don't like him. And yeah. again, he says to him, so he, he tells him like to like come along with him and go on the beach and go to places they're not supposed to. And Mike's a good boy. And he says no. So Ricky again says, well, yeah, you're a Mikey, all right. Only a Mikey would come to the beach and sit around all day. Don't talk to strangers and put that sunblock on. <laughs> and I fucking hate Ricky. <laughs> yeah, he's such a little shithead. <sighs> but yeah, the, the two of them end up running off to go cause mischief. Mm -hmm. Cut away from that for a brief scene where Craig's being a fancy lawyer boy in his fancy lawyer office and... Some other lawyer comes in and tells Craig that the judge is saying that the firm has to refund the money that they spent on Craig because Craig is a lifeguard, too, and the judge doesn't like that he's also has hobbies outside of being a lawyer. It's really dumb and just, like, obviously a plot contrivance. The line is, he figures he shouldn't have to pay you 200 an hour. When the county gets you for 12 and then Craig corrects him and says, it's 1250. And then he says what he does in his spare time should be his own business. And his boss says, you don't have any spare time. If I don't have you seven days a week, I don't want you at all. Which is like, have you ever had an employee? Like, <laughs> is that supposed to work? Yeah, that makes no sense. Even as like a super powerful lawyer, man, mm -hmm. like who's going to work seven days a week? Uh, especially Craig, like, and also I'm sure this guy doesn't work seven days a fuck off boss. Yeah. Well, and especially if this is someone where like 
the rate of pay is only 12 bucks or whatever, then like clearly he's not some like super high up fancy amazing corporate lawyer who absolutely must be on call 24/7. No, it's the $12 is for as a lifeguard he gets $12. Oh, oh, okay. That's what they're saying. So they're saying it's like which makes it more stupid. He figures he shouldn't have to pay you $200 as an hour as a lawyer. If the county only has to pay you 12 as a lifeguard. I see. Yeah, to give a good point of reference for how boring the beginning of this episode is, um, look at how little time we spent talking about the episode and how little I can remember it, despite the fact that I finished it 40 minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really boring for the first, like, 20 minutes of the episode. Here, here we get the first major plot point. Well, there's yeah. been some major words, but it's the boss tells him you got to make a decision between lifeguard and lawyer, the two L's. Now, remember, there's also lover, Latino and lawnmower <laughs> man. So he's got to mm-hmm. pick one out of all of these. And mm-hmm. which one will he choose? And he's got to do it by tomorrow just to add some weird stakes. Yeah. Tomorrow. The other L. <laughs> Uh, we cut back to Mike and Ricky, who are just generally running around in a montage. Oh, there we go. It's in a montage. That's the key. Because mm-hmm. we need to express how many montages there are. There's so many. But the song that plays during this montage is the first song that I was desperately trying to find. Because this it's this weird, like, proto-ska-punk thing. And it's actually pretty good. I did think... When I was watching it, I wonder if Morgan is skanking to this. <laughs> if I could skank, I would have been. You could easily learn how to skank. Like, you could watch a two-minute YouTube tutorial and, like, I get it. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, they they do, like, a mayhem montage where they run around and look at helicopters and go on a construction site. And then go into a canal that has a cage on it with a broken lock. And my note here says, Ricky is such a badly written character and tries to convince Mike to go cause trouble. Yep. Yeah, that pretty much sums up this entire plot. And then two construction workers come and lock him in the canal. Before that, Mm -hmm. Mike asks if they can be put in jail for doing the things that they are doing. And Ricky says... Kids can get away with anything because Ricky doesn't know about Juvie. (laughs) And I was kind of expecting at the end of this episode, because of this line, for Ricky to just like get taken away in handcuffs and be like, I'll get you, Mike. And then like come back in like (laughs) six or seven seasons, Mike is comes back to and then like they have to like stop a fight. And Mitch is like, I knew this day would come. But I don't think that actually happens, but in my Baywatch, it would. Yeah, no, thankfully, they decide not to prosecute the two children who almost die. Spoilers for later in the episode. Dang! But yeah, they they do some real cheesy foreshadowing where they hover on a sign for a while that says, this canal will be underwater come high tide, or something dumb like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then we cut back to the office where there are a million children running around and Jill and Mitch are bantering about how many lost children there are. The line from Jill that really got me was 50 lost kids and it's not even 11. Like, okay, they're they're taking this much too easily. Yep. At one point, Jill is on the phone 
and she's asking for a description of a child and someone like offers it's like it has a, a like a cape and like blue pants and she for some reason having never watched or read anything ever makes a spider-man joke but like spider-man doesn't have a cape so like i don't know what she's talking about but the parent clearly does not appreciate it because jill all of a sudden is like gosh i'm sorry and i'm like yeah the parent is mad because spider-man doesn't have a cape (laughs) clearly her child is superman not spider-man or Mm -hmm. or it actually could be like ghost rider <laughs> Ghost Rider feels like the appropriate one here. Ghost because it's so hot. And also Ghost Rider is about as cheesy as the rest of Baywatch. If not less cheesy. Yeah. Um Steve shows up and reports that Mike is missing and Mitch says, "We get hundreds of kids missing on days like these. They show up sooner or later, which is not reassuring." <laughs> no, it's not. And then we cut back to uh, Ricky and Mike, and they notice that they're locked in, and the water's starting to rise, so they are screaming for help, and despite the fact that when they walked into this canal, there were people around, and we keep stressing over and over and over again throughout this episode how incredibly packed the beach is, and how there's no possible room for anyone else, no one hears them yelling. Yep, and there's, like, one guy swimming, and he can't hear... But, like, earlier I noticed that when they were walking in to the canal, there was this girl who clearly noticed the cameraman and was like, I want to see what this is. And her mom, like, pushes her and is like, get out of the scene, get out of the scene. <laughs> Where are those people? They could have saved you and heard you. Like, you can yell pretty. These kids got lungs of steel. Like, mm-hmm. someone's got to hear them. And later when they show where the canal actually is... Uh, on like a, like a farther out shot, it's not that far away from just beach. There's got to no. be someone near the tide who just wants to get into the water because it's a hot day. So why wouldn't they be near the canal? I don't get it. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But we, having gotten our brief dose of tension, cut back to Gina and Craig's place as Craig comes home and we keep talking about how hot it is. Just over and over, every single character has to remark on it constantly. I mean, I would. Yeah, I mean, I guess. It was like 97 degrees here last week, and all I did in every single conversation, new conversation I had, was mention how hot it was, and then for some people, try and convert that into Celsius. So <laughs> that, that's all I talked about. Yeah, that's fair. Now that you mention it, I actually kind of did the same thing. Right? right fine. <laughs> yes. The writing on this episode is still bad, though. Yes. This is a weird <laughs> scene, and I don't yeah. know if it was the version I watched. Craig walks in. He talks to Gina. He asks about the the painting, which the painting is horrendous. It's like someone fucked up a Jackson Pollock. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden, all the footage goes into, like, very low-quality SD footage. I don't know if this was... Also, you saw that, but, like, it's noticeably less visible. I, I yeah, don't... I didn't notice that at all. I think that might have been a you problem. It probably was a me problem. I thought it made <laughs> it funnier. <laughs> but, so Craig tells his wife, it, basically, he gets upset on her behalf because she was going to put this god-awful piece of art in an exhibit, and the museum, I think it was, or the gallery. She keeps on going back and forth on whether it was they promised her that she would be in it, that she'd have a space in it, that they would consider having a space in it. 
Hathaway pisses off Craig, and he's gonna like call up somebody and like use his lawyer powers to get her onto the onto the show because he loves her so much. But she kind of tells him, "No, don't do it. Stop." Like he's kind of making an ass of himself. And I thought that was kind of a nice scene of their relationship, just to see that they, they have a real dynamic. Yeah. No, I thought it was surprisingly well acted between the two of them. They're probably the most realistic relationship on this show. Mm, what about Mitch and Hobie? Uh, that's fair. I'm talking more romantic partnership. Mitch and Hobie. Well, actually, <laughs> Mitch and Craig. Mm. Yeah. They, yeah. I ship it. I ship it hard. Oh, yeah. I would watch that. I would absolutely watch Great Value Dana Carvey and Great Value David Hasselhoff, by which I just mean young David Hasselhoff get together. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we finish up at the apartment and we cut to a slow-mo shot of the woman from earlier running and Eddie's checking her out again. And this time she checks Eddie out, too. And we spend a surprising amount of time on this plot for a plot that doesn't matter and goes nowhere in the end. After this, we're in the first aid room back at the lifeguard base where they're out of cotton because those damn kids are just standing in the middle of the break room throwing cotton out of a plastic bag. You know, a normal kid activity. Wait, that was cotton? Because I thought that was marshmallows like i thought the the point of the scene was that it's so hot out that all these kids are running around and they're rambunctious wild (laughs) and then they're kind of out of control and jill doesn't know what to do with them so they take all these bags of marshmallows and pour them out but now that you say that it's cotton i kind of realized that there would be no realistic reason for them to have like nine bags (laughs) yeah like nine bags of marshmallows (laughs) just in a lifeguard (laughs) hq office for kids to eat? I uh, like mm-hmm. hey lost children, do you want some marshmallows? Yeah, it makes more sense that it's cotton. You're probably right. Well, they do explicitly say that it's cotton, so. Well, okay, Morgan. Way, way, <laughs> to, use, way to use logic, the other L on me. Yeah, um, and Mitch has the very ominous line, this day couldn't get any worse. Bum, bum, bum. It will. And then the lights go out. Yeah. This is a part where I had a sentence in here that I mentioned to you the other day, which is, I feel like Mitch is a real person. Yeah. I, I look at his acting in this episode and I'm like, yeah, it's not like great, but he's real. Like he just seems real and I, I kind of like it. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. I actually think that he puts in a surprisingly good naturalistic performance. I mean, I think maybe if I be, I mean, I'm I'm kind of a fan of this show by now, but if I become a real big fan of this show, I think it's going to be because of David Hasselhoff's acting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is music. I love the music. If I get more super Mario brothers, bass beats, Oh man. Oh, oh man. I'm going to ditch my whole Spotify playlist, which is like 500 hours long and just replace it with licensed, uh, Baywatch music. God. Yes. Uh, let's see. Yeah. There's a bunch of other just kind of plot irrelevant nonsense. Craig monologues for a while about how he wants to be a lifeguard, not a lawyer. And Mitch just doesn't give a shit. He's too busy with everything else. It's a weird scene because Craig interrupts Mitch when he's on the phone. Um, also, Mitch tells someone, I think the line is, yes, just break the windows of the Mercedes. 
which I'm yeah, like, yeah, because there's a Whoa. dog stuck in the car. I'm like, yeah, but like, wow, it's a Mercedes. Uh, I just thought it was kind of an interestingly weird scene. But Craig, yeah, Craig anxiety narrates at him. Mitch isn't ready for it. Mitch then gives him good advice and Craig deflects, which is like, mm-hmm. he gave you an answer, bro. Except the answer. Yeah. There's there's a couple other real short scenes. There's a whole bunch of like 15 second scenes in this episode, which is weird. We cut very briefly to this just dope orange car that I don't recognize what it was, but I want it that I think is Steve's car. And the P.I. is like looking at the car and checking the plates because I think it's the same plates from earlier. I couldn't remember and I didn't bother going back to check. Yeah, I could. I didn't check either. But then we're back to Mike and Ricky and. The water's still rising, and they're still yelling for help, and then they decide instead they should run further back into the canal, and then we cut away from them because it's time for commercial. Oh yeah, commercials. That was the most abrupt commercial break I think I've seen in this show so far. Like, it was super weird. It's funny because I don't watch it with commercials, so... No, me either. But it was so blatantly that. Yes, yes. The the PI shows up at Lifeguard HQ and wants to go talk to Mitch, but Mitch is too busy and keeps telling him, you know, back off, I'm busy and whatever. And then the PI says, this is urgent. And Mitch says, we deal with urgent after we deal with emergencies. <laughs> Which, <ugh. laughs> I didn't pick up on that. Holy shit, that's good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's so bad of a line. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah. And you know they were so proud of that line in the writer's room. Oh, my God. They, like, they got themselves, like, seven mocktails after they mm-hmm. wrote that. And oh. a lot of cocaine. Definitely oh. a lot of cocaine. I mean, I don't know how you make a mocktail, but uh, <laughs> I always put cocaine in mine, mm-hmm. uh, clearly. Uh, in this scene, Ricky's mom interrupts and then gets mm-hmm. carried away by Jill. And there's no fucking point to it. I don't I don't yeah. get why, other than to establish that Jill and her mom can be in the same scene. Uh, I think technically yeah. they both fail the Bechdel test in this scene, though. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think uh, I think in general this entire show has not passed it yet. No, it it no, it has. Uh because in the pilot because in the pilot uh Erica Eleniak talks about lifeguard stuff. Oh, that's true. Yeah. And th- I hate that that's the example. It's like, oh yeah, she talks about lifeguards. Well, and then Erica Erica Leniak also is like, I couldn't stop someone from drowning. And that's great. But like Jill, all of her lines are like, I'd like to see your cereal boxes, Trevor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something like that. But yeah, um, the, the PI finally convinces Mitch to go into the office with him. And yep, Steve kidnapped Mike because he didn't actually have custody or something. We're not really clear because we immediately cut to a very horny montage. Um, that's what my entire note says. I don't actually remember anything about it. Yeah, it's just horny. That's that's yeah, it. Yeah. Next up is Craig driving down the beach in his truck. And then Gina shows up and gets in the car and tries to give him advice. But like 
five seconds later, the truck breaks down with just cartoonish levels of smoke because the radiator failed. Yeah, something along that. And we also find out that Gina hates the beach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the exchange here that I actually thought was reasonably well written was between Gina and Craig, where Gina says, you know, this never happens to my bicycle. Craig says, I know, that's your favorite piece of advice. Gina says, no, I have a new favorite. Quit your job. There's also the cute line of, and Craig says something about, or well, Gina is saying, you know, work your own hours and then you won't have to leave the beach for her. And Craig pauses and says, yeah, I do love the beach. And then yeah. they get back in the car. And I was like, that's cute. Oh my God. Like, uh, some of these characters and some of the relationships are just adorable. And yeah, I, I, I hate how much I invested in it. My note here says Craig says some Han Solo shit. Oh, I mean, it, it, it's Han Solo. But again, it's Dana Carvey impersonating Han Solo. It's Spaceballs Han Solo. It's absolutely Spaceballs Han Solo. And I'm just waiting <laughs> for like Yogurt the Hut to or not Yogurt oh the Hut, God. but Yogurt to appear somewhere and just have they watch the merchandise and there's like a flamethrower <laughs> somewhere just like spraying off into the distance. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. The time periods don't quite line up, but you know. Now, Morgan, this next scene is one that is just crazy. Um please lead us into what is maybe the maybe the highlight of this episode. This scene, yeah, is something. This is so Steve is kind of running around on the beach trying to find Mike and then thinks he spots Mike in the surf. But I mean, we obviously know that it's not. So Steve runs in and just like tackles this kid and yells, Mike, Mike, as the kid is like, I'm not Mike and trying to push Steve off of him. And so a bunch of people run into the water to try and pull Steve off this random kid that he just tackled. Um, We also cut to Eddie, who runs over towards Steve and, during this, drops his sunglasses on the woman from earlier's towel. And again, I don't understand why we spend so much time on this plot line that ultimately doesn't go anywhere. Um, Spoilers. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh my god, it's so infuriating. It's the show that Eddie likes women. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. But yeah, so so Steve is like hugging this kid despite everyone being like, that's not your kid, what the hell are you doing? And so Eddie finally pulls Steve off this kid and they all walk out of the water and I have this exchange written down because it's great. I couldn't tell I couldn't tell if this was the writer's lampshading or what the hell was going on, but the random dude says, He grabbed my kid and Steve goes, Because I thought he was my kid and random dude says well, why didn't you say something? Which fucking yup. <laughs> like, this, <laughs> this didn't need to be a whole thing if you had just been like, my bad, I thought that was my kid who went missing. Right, and this whole scene is... Okay, so Steve freaks out because he sees a child who is, one, white, and two, has brown hair. Now, I don't know about you, dear listener, but how many people do you know that are white and have brown hair? I would say quite a decent number of people you've met in your life are white and have brown hair. Now, imagine that they have a completely different body shape from another Mm -hmm. person you know that has brown hair and is white. Now, imagine you, another white person with brown hair, can't (laughs) tell the difference between those two. That is what's happening in this scene. It is beyond ridiculous and pointless 
and stupid. And also, when the dad tells him, why didn't you just tell me or say you thought it was your kid? Steve goes, whatever, and brushes him off. (laughs) (laughs) Who who writes this absolute Emmy bait? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then and then it ends, the entire scene ends because Craig shows up, starts talking to Steve, and Eddie goes, you two know each other, so I'll leave. Smart. It's very what? smart of him. <laughs> okay, sure. Whatever. But so yeah, Eddie goes back to his tower, grabs his sunglasses, and we spend yet more time with the two of them just, like, eye-fucking each other. They're not Eddie a- and this as much eye-fucking as, like, she stares at him, she's like, oh, hey, he's cute, and he pulls me, and... Awkwardly doesn't say anything while staring at someone and thinking, I probably should have made a choice. And then I think, but you're in the moment where you can still make a choice. And then you Mm -hmm. think, I probably should have made a choice. And then you walk away. Well, I mean, just remember, even if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Thanks, fucking Plato. Okay. (laughs) It's Rush, man. Come on. Look, I don't need the trolley problem described to me. (laughs) It's actually not in the context of Baywatch. Yeah, the famous trolley problem, which is the Rush lyric. I, I I was no I no 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 I was okay so like you were describing you were clearly describing the idea of even inaction is an action where it's like the trolley is going you have to pick one way which the trolley goes and someone dies which by the way let me tell you how this was discussed in my college intro to philosophy class where <laughs> my teacher was very weird her name was Miss Snavely uh, which is quite a name and her favorite piece of art ever was a dissected horse so that tells you a little bit about her Uh, she encountered the trolley problem as a young child and decided that there must be a better way to do this so one day she became a philosophy teacher and presented it to us that's not why she became a teacher but i i imagine it is so i was that kid who was like fucking edgelord and was like yeah i take no action because i'm gonna like have an anxiety attack which i mean fair i would have an anxiety attack and probably sure. do nothing but her idea was what if at this i i apologize this is not to uh fat shame anyone this is not to be fat phobic anyway this teacher suggested what if you just throw a fat person in front of the train so that the train crunches and can't move anymore and i remember this class of 30 30 18 year olds just pause and stare at her and go the fuck like yeah. that's not a solution and she just like stares at us smiling and we're like who hurt you like, like w- what happened in your life that you were just like, yeah, throw a fat person in front of the train. And then she drew this like scenario up and she she said, OK, well, this would kill this person, but it would save both of those people. And we're like, OK, so you throw a random one random person you don't know to save the life of someone you do know. And then like 10 people you don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess that is if you have to pick a like an answer that is the one that's most utilitarian. But at the same time, like, why do you have to be descriptive about their weight? And like, what happens when they interact with the train? It was a very odd question. I don't even remember why I brought all this up. Oh, yeah, it's because you decided <laughs> to bring up philosophy at me, you dick. Uh, I mean, more I jokingly made a reference to the Rush song Free Will. But, you know, little column I mean, A, little column B. Yeah, yeah. 
I, 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 I was listening to this YouTube video of this Canadian band that shall go unnamed so people don't harass them. And they were doing a live show in Portland. And the singer gets on the mic and just goes, you know what the worst thing about Canada is? Rush. They fucking suck, right? And then a bunch of people in like the, the area just like boo him. And he goes, oh, shut up. You're from Portland. You can't speak on Canadian problems. And I was like, there, there we go. That's fair. That's the answer. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> That's how that works. Let's get back to the show. Let's do it. Uh, let's see. What's up next? Um, God, oh, yeah. what, what is up next? God. This episode is so boring. Despite, like, what should be a high-stakes premise of kids potentially drowning, this episode is so fucking slow and boring compared to the first two episodes. Yep. There's, like, there's kidnapping. There's... Anyway. So yeah, Steve and Mitch and Craig are back in Mitch's office, and Mitch is yelling at him about how he, how Steve kidnapped Mike, which is a reasonable thing to yell at someone for. And Steve says that it isn't fair that I only get one weekend a month, which, quite frankly, if you're going to kidnap the kid, seems like maybe too much. Um, Maybe you shouldn't even have that one weekend. But, you know, just real, gotta provide a nice contrast for Mitch being a surprisingly decent father. Yeah. I don't know if you wrote this down, but uh, Steve justifies his kidnapping in this scene. Mm -hmm. And he justifies it as, I love that kid so much, it kills me. And then Mm -hmm. he sort of, like, moves on. And then he... Okay, so... He says that he had 11 good years of marriage, and then it went sour overnight. And now, I I may be single. However, (laughs) I have been in a relationship or two in my time. And relationships don't work like that. They don't Mm -hmm. just... Like, I mean, in extreme circumstances, we, we don't have any evidence to say that Steve is, like, physically abusive. But relationships don't just go sour overnight. What happens is that you don't pay attention and the other person resents you for it and things go sour. Or you can't come to an understanding and then you break up. You don't go 11 years and then just something happens. Uh, So this plays into more of my idea of Steve as just down on his out or down on his out. No. What is the what is the phrase? Down, down and on out. his luck. Down on his luck. I was mixing two phrases together because I don't know American <laughs> idioms uh, and phrases. So down on his luck and like not doing so well, like, you know, wealth wise, uh, probably has, you know, a bunch of trauma from his relationship, from the breakup. And that's part of the reason why he kidnaps Mike. Uh, and also just like he has no friends around because he was living in Arizona. Well, his friends were in L.A. Like, it's a really sad character, and they don't re- they give him, like, sort of, like, in quotes, a payoff, but not really one that I enjoy. I, I wish yeah. they went... I mean, this is, this is 1989, so I don't expect a lot. But I in 2020, if this were written, I would have hoped for a deeper investigation and just to, like, his psyche and just wanting him to get help because he needs some help, and he's not getting it. Yeah, that would have been much more interesting than a lot of the rest of this episode. Yeah, it really would have. Um, yeah. We do have an interesting scene up next, which is the junior lifeguards are being recruited to go search 
for uh, Ricky and Mike, and they are told specifically to go everywhere you're told not to go. And then there's a very long montage set to some actually surprisingly good soft rock of them just like running around the boardwalk being kids. Yes. Uh, in fact, um, I wrote the lyrics out and I Ooh. want to read I want to read them to you here. Yes, please. I, I shall not sing them because I could not do <laughs> the singer justice. No. But here are the lyrics to the lost souls. Where have you gone? Gone like a ghost. Never to be found for far too long. It's been far too long. And have you fallen further somewhere in the dark? Can you reach up higher? Touch the watermark. For I will bring you back, <laughs> touchstone, to the start. Just be brave, and we will keep you safe. We will find you in the dark. Show me a sign. Where have you gone? Somewhere in between the cracks of stone for far too long. Gone. Far too long from where you belong. <laughs> Have you fallen further somewhere in the dark? Can you reach any higher than the watermark? So just be brave and we will find you safe and sound. And we will finally get you home, even if we look into the dark. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> Bravissimo. Those are... <laughs> I tried to look up the lyrics, and midway through typing that into a Google search bar, I was like, there's no goddamn way this is a real song. <laughs> it sure is not, because I actually did try and find it, and the closest I could find was some song from 2015 that had, like, some similar lyrics. I mean, I, every song I write asks if you can reach any higher <laughs> than the watermark. It's it's my song about Photoshop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Speaking of watermarks, we cut back to the kids who are in danger of being drowned by the high tide, but they're climbing through a pipe now, and then they fall out into a storm drain, and then we have another immediate smash cut to commercial. Um, there weren't actually commercials, but again, it was very clear that this was a smash cut. I wrote this as Ricky and Mike pull a Super Mario Brothers movie, uh, where they kind <laughs> of like slide down this pipe into something else. Uh, the difference being that in Super Mario Brothers movie, they fall into, the, I, I, I don't even remember, uh, but I love that movie. And this, they fall into uh, just a deeper hole. Uh, and it feels unfair. They're being punished by God yeah. for not staying where they were at the beginning. Um, but Ricky is being punished for being a little shithead. And calling Mike Mikey. And in that yeah. regard, I feel good about this. <laughs> yeah, you know, nothing says deserving of almost drowning like calling a kid a nickname. In my book, yeah, exactly. I'm no, a nice person. I'm, I'm a very nice person, and mm -hmm. I have a lot of empathy. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing I would do is drown a child. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, really, no, nothing else can be done. Well, it's not like it's a loss because it's Ricky. <laughs> like, if it was yeah, Mike, true. I'd be like, there goes a good M-boy. That's what I call my Mike boys, my Michael boys, an M-boy. There goes a good M-boy. But Ricky, no one... No, okay, Morgan, when was the last time you met someone you liked named Ricky? I don't know that I've ever met anyone named Ricky, period. 
There you go. Exactly. Because we all the Rickies died off. Yeah. Yeah. You remember the uh, there was first there was the Permian and then there was the Jurassic and Jurassic and then there was the Ricky extinction. Uh, <laughs> I believe it. I believe that was right after the movie Ricky O came out. <laughs> Though I will say Ricky extinction would be a dope band name. Would it be better as Ricky extinction or Risky extinction? Ooh. Because risky extinction would just have things, or it's just like really, it would it would be covers of like Dead Kennedy songs. So they would just do like yeah. Holiday in Cambodia, but like with a flugelhorn, and then there's like <laughs> a dude like playing an accordion, just jumping uh, up and down, and then there's like a dude skanking in the background or something. I feel like that's what they would be. Because it's definitely, it's, it is a ska punk band name, Risky Extinction. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or Risky Extermination, either one. Yeah, it's a ska punk band. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. <laughs> well, we, so you can tell this episode's so boring. It's so bad. Oh, my God. We, we go to Hobie, and Hobie's talking to Jill, and Hobie specifically asks if the two kids are in the drainage canal, and Jill's like, nah, you're stupid. No one could have gone in there because it's locked. And then Hobie's like, you sure you didn't see any kids there? And Jill says, nope, only the maintenance men went over there to go put on a new lock. And the two of them just, like, stare at each other for a minute and both realize that that's where the kids are. Um, So they radio Mitch, I guess. It's not really clear how Mitch and Craig get this info. But the two of them drive over to some other storm drain cover because they can't go to the storm drain entrance where the kids went in because the tide is too high now. And this bit of blocking really bothered me because as Mitch and Craig are driving up to the storm grate cover, two women sit down on the storm grate cover and then immediately Mitch runs over, pushes them out of the way and says, excuse me, I need to get in here. Like you didn't need that whole exchange. You could have just not had those two women sit down. I think they didn't clear the shot. Could be. I think that's what it has to be. So in this scene, it's weird because that was Shawnee that was with Hobie, but she disappears and gets replaced by Jill, which I figured out because I was like, oh, Jill and Shawnee have very different eyebrows and like different faces. So like Shawnee has a rounder face. Jill's face is more like uh, squarish. Trying not to sound like a weirdo creepo here. Uh, Shawnee is noticeably a little bit more uh, busty uh, than Jill. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and by a little bit, I mean a lot. Yes. And so that is Jill who just comes out of nowhere and then Shawnee just disappears, even though Shawnee reported the whole thing. Um, but it's weird ah. because it makes sense because Jill is giving like commands to the uh, to the firemen in a scene or two here and right. tells them like, no, you idiots, like don't like use... Uh, like acetylene on this grate, it's going to drop flaming metal on them. I'd be like, Shawnee wouldn't have thought of that. Like, yeah. cause she's a junior lifeguard. Like it just wouldn't make sense for it to come to her. So it's a very odd, like thing that they just like replaced her for that scene. Yeah. That's why I thought it was Jill in that scene. Cause I wasn't paying super close attention. Um, and <laughs> they both look somewhat similar at 480p when you're not really paying attention. Um, ah, yes, Exactly. <laughs> Mitch and Craig show up and they're going to go save the two kids and then they can't because the grate's too heavy. So Mitch and Craig leave to go get back up and more tools. And then Hobie is left behind to keep Ricky and Mike calm 
which okay sure um <laughs> and then we cut to like Craig and Mitch driving around and then we cut back to the grate there's a lot of very short scenes in this mm-hmm. it's badly edited um but the yeah like you said the firefighters are trying to use acetylene torches to cut the grate open but Jill says not to because it'll rain hot metal down on the boys so you should just lift the grate which I wanted to be like hmm you you think maybe he uh he thought of that and maybe there's a reason why he didn't do that cuz as we'll find out in just a second um it doesn't work and Jill actually kind of fucked the kids over but you know no cool. I don't actually know what you're talking about I completely disagree with you because they don't try and lift the grate. They try and lift the stone slab the grate is on. Well, yeah, because the grate is, like, sealed into that concrete slab. Like, there's concrete over top of the edge of the grate. You can't just lift the metal bit. You could just lift the metal bit with enough. Like, you put, like, a hook there and you just pull it. You could lift the metal bit, I feel like. I mean, maybe. I feel like at that point, what you're going to do is just, like, rip small holes in the grate. It's better than burning through it and then having the whole grate drop. Well, except that later they burn through the grate and it's fine. Well, well, (laughs) well, um, (laughs) well, uh, 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 well, I I, I don't have a response. Yeah. (laughs) You have done the impossible and silenced me. (laughs) Um, much as this episode is about to be silenced because it's almost over. Ha! But yeah, um... They do try and lift the grate, uh, yeah, they, by the way. Yeah, they do try and lift the grate. They bring in a tow truck, and it's almost up, and then they keep cutting back and forth between the grate and the tow reel, and then it fails, and the grate slams back down. And they only try once. Yep. Well, because they know that the plot demands that Mitch and Craig be the one to rescue the kids. I mean, I know that, too. Sometimes at night when I'm, like, lonely, uh, I just wait because I know I'm supposed to wait for for Mitch to come through my door and just be like, you good, partner? Because I assume he calls me partner, or he calls me, like, sport. He'll probably, like, call me sport. So he, like, comes through the door in his crab stompers and, uh, you know, his, like, sexy lieutenant outfit. Mm-hmm. And I'll be, like, pointing at me with finger guns and be like, you okay, sport? And I'll be like, I am now, Mitch. And I'll be like, glad I could help. And he runs out. And that's how I fall asleep every night. Yeah. I'm honestly amazed we haven't seen Mitch call anyone sport. That feels very on brand for him. Uh, we got 11 seasons to go. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> um, but yeah, we've got we've got a long scene here of Mitch and Craig slowly crawling through a pipe to get to where the kids are. And they seem real chill about the fact that like the two kids are drowning like we see at one point that ricky's like basically passed out and mike is talking about he doesn't know how much longer he can keep this up and all of that and like mitch and craig are just like very slowly crawling through his pipe and having a conversation about how if craig stops being a lifeguard he won't be able to have a locker at the base anymore and it just felt so weird like you've established these super high stakes about, you know, kids drowning. We uh-huh. don't really care about Craig's career at this point. Like, how about you save the kids first? We especially don't care about Craig's locker, which he brings up in this scene 
I think four times. He just yeah. goes yeah. again and again. You would throw him in my locker, and, and Mitch has to justify it as. And that's what we brought up earlier. Like it's our favorite B character in this because mm-hmm. it's a character. It's established as something important to Craig. We have no reason to understand why it's important to him. You could just use your car, dude. Exactly. It's so like weird and tossed away. It doesn't it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um the two of them finally get to the storm drain, but there's a grate blocking them, so Mitch finally kicks out the grade and manages to get into the storm drain where the two kids are, and now Mitch and Craig are supporting the kids and using their buoys to stop them from drowning. And then the firefighters at this point, because lifting the grate didn't work, finish cutting through the grate with an acetylene torch, and um it turns out everything's fine. Um, and as my note says, so like, Jill, what the fuck? And then the, the firefighters lower down a ladder and everyone climbs up and the PI is there from earlier because we're running out of time and they needed to resolve this storyline. And he looks real sad that Steve and Mike are like back together again. And even though Steve, the first line he says directly in front of the PI is, well, guess we got to go call your mom, huh? It's identified as a plot point where Steve learns his lesson and learning your lesson means you're not able to be arrested, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sweaty, oily Mark Ruffalo is like, well, I am done. Gonna throw my, my jacket over my shoulder, even though it's 105 degrees and I have no clue why I'm dressed like this, mm-hmm. especially on a beach. He goes, yeah, I'm out of a job. And why, though? You, you, He kidnapped a child that's a felony. Yeah. It also feels like this was your job. You did it. Now you get paid. Like, isn't that what you want? Yeah, it isn't very well thought out. I, I do not understand. But yeah, thankfully, we've got two more short scenes left. Thankfully. First of which is Eddie going and talking to the girl from earlier. He briefly introduces himself and says that he wants to take her out to dinner. But then who should show up? But Trevor, who is already taking her out. And the girl says, maybe next time in an Australian accent. And then Eddie does a really bad Australian accent and mocks her for saying maybe next time, which like, dude, that's the nicest rejection you're going to get in this situation. Chill. That's like one of the nicest rejections you're ever going to get, period, in life. Like, that's even better than like, you know, I think we'd be good friends, but uh, I don't don't know about this. This is like telling him. Next time I decide to book a visit on a vacation, you and I, let's figure this out. That's like not a rejection. That's a future prediction. Dude, what you got to do is you just got to put yourself in some sort of like primer situation where you just keep (laughs) on like going 90 seconds into the future or something like and just keep doing that for like, I don't know, the next six or seven years. The economy won't go bad. So like... Mm -hmm. Just wait, she'll come back and definitely not married, you know, or hooked up with anyone. Like, Mm -hmm. you'll be fine, Eddie. Don't worry about it. Well, everyone knows that once girls are with someone who signs cereal boxes, you just, that's not a lifestyle you can leave behind. I mean, that's why I have decided to make the Michael Eisen cereal choice. It's kind of like the Jellicle choice, but there's (laughs) cereal. (laughs) If you were going to make a cereal, what would it be? Okay, so this is actually a very, very good question. (laughs) I'm glad you asked this, because I've actually thought about this a bit before. I'm Um, not surprised. Yeah. Why are you not surprised? Because this feels like the kind of thing you would have had to discussion 
with probably Tristan about. Oh, absolutely. You know, it probably would have been a case of Tristan's just being like, yeah, sometimes I just wish I was a serial and you have no context <laughs> for it. And then all of a sudden I'm like, no, no, no. Let's investigate this further. So there's a few different serial types, obviously a few. There's many serial types you can pick from. <laughs> and I kind of have a bit of a ranking of, you know, where they, they end up. So at the top, we got like your cookie crisps and your Reese's peanut butter puffs ones. You got your ones that are full of like a chocolate flavor. Mm-hmm. I really like those personally because Same. you eat those and it just makes your milk chocolate milk. And second up, I re- I really like cornflakes. Uh, cornflakes are the perfect shape. Cornflakes are the ruffles of cereal um, because they got yeah. kind of that little like wavy, you know, shape. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then like, you know, technically in terms of taste, you got your, your sugared cornflakes, but those aren't as good for you. And just non-sugared cornflakes are pretty good. Um, but sugared cornflakes, oh man, like that is a great experience. Your Honey Nut Cheerios are kind of underneath there. Uh, normal Cheerios are really low down, but Honey Nut are pretty fantastic. Yeah, Trix uh, cereal, those are okay. Like they were better when they actually had the different shapes that were supposed to be different, you know, different fruits. Those were okay. Captain Crunch is way at the bottom. I, I don't like Captain Crunch personally. It's too much. Um, I totally forgot about the fact that there was Oreo ones and that's at the top because Oreos are great, but I also haven't had an Oreo in like eight months. I know I really want an Oreo. Yeah. I got some carrot cake ones recently. Ooh choice. Morgan, why didn't you invite me over to have carrot cake Oreos? (laughs) Oh, I I love carrot cake. I eat them too fast. Well, next time, call me. I'll come over. I'll I'll have one, and then I'll leave. Uh, (laughs) Or I'll stay. I don't know. I guess I like your company or something. Yeah, you know. But Oreo-flavored cereal ones are great. So now, what one would I make? So, I think it'd have to be a mixture here. You'd have some some cornflakes. No, this is actually this is the, the idea that we're not caring about health. No, uh, we're just yeah. caring about taste. Absolutely. So there's two ways you could go about this. The first one is you go wacky and you use strawberry milk instead of normal milk. Because if you take strawberry milk and you put some like tricks in it and some unsugared cornflakes and maybe a few Honey Nut Cheerios, you got yourself a pretty fucking good cereal. I can see that. Now, the other way you could go is you don't use strawberry milk. You use normal milk. Like a heathen. And uh, also, I typically drink lactate milk because I like it a little bit better. Also because it's it doesn't make your tummy as, as rumbly. You get your milk and then you would put in cookie crisp may, or, or Reese's one, you know, something similar. Sure. You would get the Oreo one. Maybe you'd like mix the two up, kind of crunch them a bit. Then you would put some sugared cornflakes in there. I think... Uh, You'd also maybe want like up to 10, up to 10 puffins. Uh, you, you know what puffins are? Oh, absolutely. That was one of the few cereals I was allowed as a kid because it was healthy enough. Why were you not allowed cereals? Because they were too sugary. You know that my family growing up were very Weird. health conscious hippie people. Yeah, look what we've become now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> just like, let's just, let's just drink whatever will most most destroy our systems Mm -hmm. uh by systems i mean bodies so throw in like 10 puffins in there because you also want to have like that treasure trove for your like sifting through it and also any good like i call it a jambalaya 
because it's really just a bunch of shit <laughs> thrown together. But it's the cereal jambalaya. Has sure. to have the parts you avoid. And the puffins can either be like a tasty treat or your thing you avoid to get to everything else. And then at the very end, you're just like, guess I have all the puffins left. And you eat those and you kind of feel like shameful. But you feel good about yourself that you actually got through them and you ate like a semi-healthy thing. So they're always a good reward at the end to restore your confidence after you've (laughs) felt bad for just having all this bad stuff before. Now, of course, you'd have to have a big bowl. You should also uh, get yourself a crazy straw. That way you can drink some of the milk in there. Typically, you'd want a small spoon because a big spoon is just going to ruin the experience. Now, additional things you could be having with this are... A peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, You could put some banana in it. Keep the crusts on because crust is important. Mm -hmm. Uh, People who remove crusts, I don't get it. Crust is fucking amazing. It's where all Uh, the flavor is. I mean, no, but uh, (laughs) sure. (laughs) I mean, well, depending on the type of bread. If we're talking just like white sandwich bread, like, yeah, the crust has actual, like, flavor from Maillard reactions and shit. It, it, by by flavor, you mean the flavor of crust. Uh, yeah, exactly. which, which, I mean, if you're in someplace like Biloxi, Mississippi, that means doing heroin. <laughs> uh, but I guess there's some flavor to the crust. I mean, compared to the center of, like, white sandwich bread, which is just literally, like, air and wheat. Or to the center of Washington. <laughs> uh, yes, you're right. So now in my mind, I want to instead create a very, like, I can't think of, like, what the worst bread is out there. Maybe it's, like, pumpernickel. I'm not a big fan of pumpernickel. I can get down with a pumpernickel. You could? Okay. Pumpernickel, peanut butter, and jelly. I think maybe add some cheese in there. But the cheese should be that Sardinian uh, maggot cheese. Yeah. So, like, now you're, like, eating your peanut butter, and it's really thick in your mouth, and you're just (laughs) smacking your lips, and then, like, some creepy crawly comes in, and then you're like, what is that? Oh, that's a fucking maggot. And you're like, don't worry. protein, baby. It's a tasty little treat. It's the puffin of the sandwich. You see, (laughs) this sandwich is now its own sandwich jambalaya. So really, all you want to do for breakfast is just have many types of jambalaya. Because why should jambalaya be limited to just whatever jambalaya is? I've only had it, I think, once. But I've had a peanut butter and jelly sandwich many times. So I think I'm an expert on what jambalaya is. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what they always say is like uh, maggots are the puffins of the peanut butter, jelly and cheese sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) And banana. And banana. Throw in an otter pop. And oh boy, you just got yourself a six year old childhood right there. Hell yeah. Now, Morgan, what cereal would you make? Uh, Oh, God. You know, I should have been thinking about this while you were talking, but I wasn't. I know. It's hard. It's hard, too. (laughs) I just took you on a giant journey. Honestly, the problem is I don't really ever eat cereal, so I don't actually have any opinions. But probably just Reese's Puffs. I like Reese's Puffs. Wait, so wait, your ideal cereal, if you can make any cereal, is just one that already exists? I like chocolate and peanut butter. Morgan, I'm so disappointed in you. (laughs) You have... A billion flavor profiles out there. You could do anything. You could be like, you know what? I want to throw in some meat into this cereal. You could do that. And you chose the thing that already exists. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) But you know who isn't willing to settle for something that already exists? Craig. Craig. Because he decides after all of this that he's going to leave the law firm and go be an independent lawyer. And with that, the episode comes to a close. Well, no. 
doesn't because instead what happens is Mitch pops in and, and says Craig gets to keep his locker. Oh, right. And then they say, well, I also promised you're never going to have a day like this. And then the radio announcer says, if you like days like this, just wait for tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, and then we end. Yeah. So, Morgan, what were your thoughts on this episode? It was kind of boring compared to the last two they managed to do an impressively bad job actually sustaining any level of tension, despite what should theoretically be like a fairly intense and serious plotline of like two kids being trapped in this storm drain and the water's rising and they're drowning, but we never get enough time with the kids to really care. Mm-hmm. Like They keep cutting away from any time they're even slightly in danger, and we only get these brief glimpses where they seem totally fine. So, yeah, overall, nothing, nothing particularly interesting. All the B-plots... It feels like they tried to cram too much into this episode. You could have mm-hmm. lost at least one or two plots and maybe actually like spent some time on the main ones and developed something interesting, but they chose not to do that. So here we are. My hope is that it was a, it's going to get paid off and that we're going to get more about Craig's decision, maybe more about Mitch. Well, there wasn't really any Mitch Ford movement in here. Nope. Uh, there's not any Hobie Ford movement. There's no Shawnee Ford movement. There's Eddie is like an unlovable loser, which I guess is a plot point. Trevor is just the same. Jill has no movement. Gina has movement. A little bit. A little. I mean, we get to see more of Gina, which is, yeah. I, I guess, a thing. Yeah, I, I guess this episode is, it, it's very Monster of the Week. And there's a lot of good shows out there that started with their Monster of the Week formula and kind of use that Monster of the Week formula to end up resulting in something good. I I especially think of like Fringe, Mm -hmm. where it started with its Monster of the Week. Like it started first two, three episodes being about a plot and then went to Monster of the Week and then like described in season two why there's Monster of the Week. And you're like, oh, like you, you didn't actually have this this set up, but you used what you had to make a long ar- arching story. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Baywatch is not Fringe. Though to be fair, Fringe also followed that plot line for most of season three. For season four, reset most of it, and then for season five, jumped to an alternate universe twenty years in the future and abandoned everything we had ever cared about in that show. And I'm still mad about it because I loved the first three seasons of Fringe. And then it just went so downhill so fast. <laughs> so it's funny. My parents got into Fringe, but they started at season three. Uh, and were like, the oh. show's... My, okay, so my dad famously watched the final episode of Breaking Bad and then said, I get it. Like, he didn't watch <laughs> anything else. He just watched that episode and said, I get it. And I'm like, no, you literally don't. The whole yeah. point of the episode is an emotional follow-up to everything else. He's like... They play Mr. Blue Sky. I get it. And I'm like, no, no, you fucking don't. Like that, no. And I repeated that by watching the one hour long entire series wrap up of Lost before the series finale of Lost. I was like, I get it. So I'm not that much better. Uh, I am, though, because I tried to go back and watch Lost and realize it wasn't for me. Yeah, Lost is a show that I still love because I haven't seen an episode since it finished airing. Oh, so when I watched it, I was watching it with my ex, and she wanted me to listen to this podcast about each episode. And so we would watch an episode, we listen to the podcast, 
the podcast is by people who clearly love Lost and are like, oh my god, like you can't wait to talk about this next thing. And it's different from something like us, where we are we are watching Baywatch, you know, or we're creating this podcast as we watch Baywatch, but we, we don't really know what happens. Like we may have mm-hmm. like a brief spoiler here and there, but we don't know what's going to happen. When you listen to a podcast like that, if you don't know what's going on, you just lose out on everything because they clearly know what to talk about to generate conversation. Mm-hmm. We don't. Like we yeah. <laughs> you you and that I should have be no obvious from this episode. <laughs> well, we also are just two talkative people who mm-hmm. are very inane and full of non sequiturs. But listening to that Lost podcast kind of made me not want to watch Lost. Uh just <laughs> Because I was like, this this, this doesn't help me want to watch the show. Now, Fringe, I agree. Like, season five of Fringe was very bad. And it had John Noble still, which is great. I mean, yeah, John totally. Noble is fantastic. It also had that guy who plays just British guy everywhere, who is also mm-hmm. in Mad Men. Uh, and he played Moriarty in, like, some of the recent Sherlock Holmes movies. Right, right, I can never remember. Uh, oh, what's his name? Yeah. It's like, you know who I'm talking and, about. And Andrew Anthony, some generic white British name. Andrew Anthony. <laughs> my favorite. Uh, and he, like, he was a, this is now a Fringe podcast, mm-hmm. but he, spoilers for Fringe, he is such a good villain and then just gets cut in half through a portal. And it was so anticlimactic to me because I was like, no, 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 no. He needs to continue being the villain. You can't just do that to him. Ugh, fuck, like, what, what were they called? What were the bald men called? They weren't called Watchers. What were they called? I think they are called Watchers. Okay, maybe maybe they are called Watchers. I'm guessing if they're called Watchers, well, I mean, one, because they watch people, but yeah. two, it feels like they stole from acclaimed video game director Yoko Taro, uh, who created, a, I, we can't even get into that, otherwise it's <laughs> going to be a three-hour podcast. But the point is, uh, Drakengard, uh, the series, where he has, you know what, I'm going to take 30 seconds to explain this because it's worth it, which is you have these villains called the Watchers, which are, and I repeat, giant babies that have electric wings that eat people, come out of the sky and are being led by the queen mother who initiates a rhythm game. What makes this great is that one of their characters cut out her fetus because she had like a miscarriage and now likes to eat babies. And she is a protagonist. So then she gets the ironic fate of having a giant watcher baby eat her and thus she achieves orgasm. So, Video games, yeah, man. Yeah, Yoko Taro <laughs> is, a, is a weird genius. And, like, if I can plug something, watch the YouTube channel, Clemps. Like, oh, my God. Like, watch that dude's videos on this stuff. Because those games are so weird. Uh, and, and, like, how did this... Who let him make this stuff? It's crazy. But the Watchers were cool characters in Fringe, and then they just fucked it up season five. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, and I, I hope they don't, fu- like, I hope they don't fuck up this show. Yeah, but yeah. back to this episode, I agree it was boring. I rewatched it a second time. The first time I thought it was more interesting, and the second time I found it more boring. I, I think it's compelling in a certain way in that, like, I, I watched it, I, I wanted to watch it, but if I had, like, seven of these in a row, I would just probably give up. And yeah. I hope it's not It's not this, because I, I know, and we, we brought this up last episode, and I think in the pilot, this show gets canceled after season one due to low ratings, 
and it comes back season two and it kind of changes the way in which they are framing plot devices in terms of you can't have children or women as characters have any harm to them but also that there is less heisty robbie nuance and there's more solve crime at the beach and thus we mm. get more of the of the officer we saw last episode my hope is that we get some idea of that in the rest of the season if not season one's gonna be unfortunately just like a bad show podcast and then yeah. season two maybe is a good show podcast either way like i'm down for a bad show podcast yeah but yeah i i, I kind of worry for for what's next because next episode is called second wave and this was the heat wave so i can't even imagine oh. what happens next yeah well uh we'll find out next week we will find out next week with that Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Baywatch Rookie School. If you want to follow us on Twitter, our show's handle is at Rookie School Pod. I am at Morgan P. Thrapp. And I am at Snotsnit, S-N-O-T-S-N-I-T. And we'll see you next week. And just remember, hips, lips, and fingertips. Ew. <laughs>